Hey everybody, welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode 51 and my name is Chess Griffin. And uh, in this episode, we are going to be talking about VNC. Uh, stands for Virtual Network Computing. Very cool technology, sort of like, you know, remote desktop connection. It's a way for you to connect to your computer and see your desktop uh, from a different computer. And it's uh, lots of lots of fun things to talk about with all that kind of stuff. So that's what we're going to get to. I've also got some more audio feedback. I've got a listener tip on Grub and all kinds of good stuff. So I've uh, got a lot, uh, lot in this episode. Uh, first, I wanted to thank all of you uh, who sent me an email over this past week regarding the one-year anniversary. It was very nice. It was kind of unexpected. Uh, but I read each and every one of them, and I tried to reply to everybody. If I if I left one out or forgot to reply, I apologize. Um, and just over the last several weeks, I've you know, uh, folks have been very nice to send me lots of really cool uh, audio comments and audio feedback and some audio questions and uh, different emails and things. And I'm trying to work all that stuff in. So just bear with me. You know, it may not happen right away, but I'm getting to everything. And I just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to, to do all that. It's very nice and very, very uh, appreciated. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to get right into the main topic uh, of the, today's show, which is going to be VNC. Okay, VNC. Um, VNC, like I said, stands for Virtual Network Computing. It's some technology. It's been around for a long time. Um, I think it was sort of originally um, invented by some uh, people over at AT&T in their, you know, AT&T Labs. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it's been it's been a long time. Um, and it's a basically it's a cross-platform uh, way for you to connect uh, from one computer over, you know, to another computer graphically. In other words. You can, you know, run a little application and uh, using this application, connect to another computer on your network if you're at home, you know, on a LAN, let's say, or work, of course, or even over the Internet. Um, and to be able to see the desktop uh, on the other side or, you know, to see a desktop uh, on the other computer and to be able to run graphical applications. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, there's Microsoft's uh, remote desktop connection, sort of a similar process. And there's other computer companies that have different sort of things and same ideas, you know, it's ways for you to run, um, you know, graphical applications over the network from one computer to another computer. Uh, now VNC in, in Linux, it's been around a long time, very well supported. There's lots of different packages for VNC. You can find VNC for windows, for Mac. Uh, it's, you know, it's available on, on, like I said, multiple platforms. You can connect from a Linux machine to a Windows or Windows to Mac or Mac to Windows, whatever. I mean, it's kind of, you know, makes no difference really um, what operating system you're running on. You basically, what you do is you run a little uh, VNC server on the machine that you want to connect to, and it's running a VNC server. It's no big deal. It's basically just running, you know, the VNC application on the machine you want to connect to. And then on the one you're connecting from, you know, uh, you're going to run the little viewer. It's like a little client. You know, a little a smaller application that just that just lets you view the view the desktop of the of the remote machine. Uh, so now, the, the, the couple you know issues with VNC. Uh, the biggest issue is is that it's totally insecure. Um, I mean, when you first run the little server, it asks you for a password. You know that that it will use to prompt 
clients that try to connect to it. But I think the whole thing's in, in clear text and it's, I mean, it's just, it's historically very, very insecure. Um, it can also be a little slow at times, but it's really not that bad. Cause I mean, it's obviously trying to compress the, the graphics over the connection. So, but it's really not that bad, but that's occasionally an, you know, an issue. Um, but it's, but to wait the, you know, to run VNC on Linux, and that's kind of what I'm going to get to here. There's lots of different ways to do this. And so this episode is really going to be kind of like an overview. And, and I mean, there are going to be some practical explanations of how to actually set it up, but there's lots of different ways to set it up. So the way I say is not necessarily the, the only way or the right way. It's just, it's a way I have done it and it has worked just fine. Um, now, um, you can get different VNC packages. There's different software for VNC. There's there's real VNC, um, which is sort of the original, I think, um, uh, VNC software. Uh, and there's tight VNC. Uh, that's very common. That's what I have always used is tight VNC. On the Mac, there's something called chicken of the VNC, um, ultra VNC. Tight VNC is nice because it runs on Windows and Linux. I don't think it runs on the Mac, but it runs on Linux and Windows. That's tight VNC. I think the real VNC runs on Windows and Linux. I, uh, there's not as many for the for the Mac. There's chicken of the VNC, I know, for the Mac. There's, there's OSX VNC, I think, and maybe one or two others. But it doesn't really matter. You don't necessarily have to have the same server and client. Um, so you, in other words, you can be running tight VNC server on your Linux machine and use chicken of the VNC client on your Mac to connect to the Linux machine, you know, something like that. I think that's right. I've never, now that I think about it, I think, cause I always use tight VNC. Um, and, um, I have never tried it from the Mac that we have here at home, but I've done it from windows to Linux and back. Uh, and it works just fine with tight VNC. So. The first thing you want to do is you need to install type VNC on both machines that you want to connect to. Now, for my example, I'm just going to be connecting between two Linux machines, but it really should make no difference. And I'll, I'm going to be putting lots of good links. I've got a, a big, you know, assortment of links that I'll put in the show notes for additional information on, on how to do this. But it's really not too terribly uh, bad. Basically, what you want to do on on the Linux machine, let's say you've got a let's say you've got a Linux machine at home. Okay, or, or or in one room of your house, and let's call that server. Uh, so you've got a machine on on a Linux machine in one room of the house called server, and you've got a laptop called laptop. Now on the server machine on your desktop, let's say again, I'm just going to call that server. You're going to need to run the VNC server application. Uh, now I'm going to first give you an example of how to connect uh, without encryption, just totally insecure, but just to kind of explain how to do it. All right, and let's say your server's IP on your local network, okay, is 192.168.1.50. That's the server machine. And let's say your laptop is .60, okay. So um, on, the, uh, on the server, on your desktop, where you're going to try to connect to, okay, all you need to do is just uh, run VNC server space colon 1. Uh, there's you can have multiple desktops, if you will, multiple servers running at the same time. The colon one means it's going to be the it's it uses different ports. It uses port fifty nine hundred and up. So number one is going to be port fifty nine oh one. Don't worry about that right now. That'll that'll come clear in a moment. But so um your server machine, and you don't need to do this as root. You just do this as your normal user. That'll be fine. You can just run uh, VNC server colon one. 
with a space there. So VNC server space colon one. It will ask you for a password. You know, just type in a password. Again, this is completely insecure, but it's just a way to authenticate, you know, at a very low level. <laughs> so uh, you'll see some some startup messages. You'll see something about it's creating a hidden directory in your home directory called .vnc, and it's creating a little script in there called xstartup. The uh, the X startup in .vnc is sort of the equivalent of .xinitrc, which I've mentioned mentioned before, is sort of a hidden file that run that has a list of stuff that will run when you run X on on you know when you do start X. Well, this is similar to that. This is where you're going to list what window manager you want to run when you're running the VNC server. I think it defaults to like TWM or something. Uh, so before we do anything. On the client side, let's go into that .vnc hidden directory. This is, again, we're still on the desktop. We've run the server. Uh, well, first we need to kill the server because we're going to make a change here. So do vnc server space dash kill space colon one. And we've just killed that vnc server that we just ran. Okay, so now go into .vnc and edit the x startup file. And at the very bottom, you should see, some, you know, you should see what window manager is set by default to run. Like I said, I think it's often TWM. So you might see, you know, you might see TWM and then an ampersand. Because remember, the ampersand means it's going to fork that into the background. So we want to put a comment, you know, a number sign in front of that to, to comment out that line and add a new line right below it and, and pick a window manager. Let's say you've got Fluxbox. I would pick something lightweight. So maybe install Fluxbox and uh, put on the line underneath it, exec space Fluxbox. Um, Fluxbox doesn't need the little ampersand. If you use the exec command, it will just, it'll just run it in the background. But, uh, so then save that file. Okay. And then go back out and now run the server again. So do VNC server space colon one. Okay. Now, uh, and like I said, your server machine is 192.168.1.50. Okay. Now open up the laptop and now you're going to, you know, that's assuming again, you've got tight VNC installed on the laptop as well. All right, on the laptop, open up a you know a terminal and you type VNC viewer. Okay, the view, VNC viewer is the viewer is the client. That's what you use to connect to the VNC server. All right, and you would just type VNC viewer space, and then your IP of your desktop one nine two dot one six eight dot one dot fifty. Okay, uh, colon, uh, and then try colon one. And if that doesn't work, try colon 5901. Because like I said, it really runs on port 5901, but try just colon 1. And you, it'll just connect, and you'll see Fluxbox. And it will be sort of, you know, default Fluxbox installation, if you will. But, you know, it'll work, and you can mouse into the window, and you can right-click and get the Fluxbox menu and run applications and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you were to run back into your room where your desktop is, you'll see nothing's changed. It's not controlling the desktop that you normally run. It's sort of running a new desktop in the background, if you will, that you can't see, uh, but you can see on the laptop. But that's cool because you can log in and you can run some graphical applications on a really light window manager. You know, if you normally use KDE or, or GNOME or something, that's going to make the connection much slower because, like I said, it's got to compress that graphics and pass it through. And, uh, and so it's much better to run a really lightweight window manager if you're going to use VNC. Uh, so, okay, so what we just did, though, is completely insecure. Like I said, it doesn't, I mean, it's not encrypted. The password wasn't encrypted. People can, can you know, sniff the packets and whatever, and I think it's, you know, it's not encrypted at all. So this is what, the, this is the better way to run it. 
and it's running it over SSH. And this is what I always do. And this is what kind of most documentation you read kind of tells you the way to do this. Um, and basically what you're going to be doing is you're going to be using SSH tunneling and it's, and uh, haven't, I mean, you know, go back and listen to the SSH episode if you haven't really gotten comfortable with SSH, but I didn't really go into tunneling too much, but it's basically a way to connect two computers over SSH on different ports. Um, and, and the reason it's important is because you're going to be forwarding kind of like the port, um, on the desktop machine, 5901 to a local different port on your laptop and then connecting to the different port on your laptop. And you'll get to, you know, see the same Fluxbox desktop, you know, over an encrypted SSH connection. So the way you want to do this is, um, you know, you're going to still run the server the same way. Uh, you just run on the desktop. You'd still run VNC server space colon one. There's no change there. And then on the laptop, you're going to start a, a VNC tunnel. And this is what you need to do. You know, how, you know, normally the, um, the, uh, the syntax for SSH is very simple. It's usually just SSH space and then the IP of the machine you want to connect to. So you would normally type SSH space 192.168.1.50 to connect to the, you know, to your desktop from your laptop, because that's dot 50 is the desktop's IP address in my example. So what we're going to do is we're going to insert something in, in the middle there. So in between the SSH and in between the IP address of the server, we're going to insert something, a, a, you know, a clause, if you will. And, uh, it's going to be dash capital L and that stands for, you know, local port forwarding. Okay. And then space, and then you're going to do, um, you're going to do, let's do 5902. Okay. Which is again, uh, remember 5900 and up are the VNC ports. That's the common ports used by VNC. So we're going to use local port 5902 colon, and then, Again, the server's IP address, once again, so 192.168.1.50 colon, and then the server's VNC IP, I mean, port, 5901. Remember how I said the desktop VNC server was running on port 1 or port 5901, they're equivalent. Um, but we want to use the full port numbers when we're doing SSH because SSH can connect on multiple ports and SSH doesn't know anything about VNC. So if you were to put, you know, two and one, it's going to think literally ports one and two, not 5901 and 5902. So let me read off the, the entire line, uh, before we go any further. So this is again on your laptop. We're going to set up a tunnel between the So on the laptop, you're going to type SSH space capital L space 5902 colon 192.168.1.50 colon 5901 space and then again 192.168.1.50 okay so again you know at the on the left hand side you've got the command ssh on the far right hand side you have the ip of the desktop machine and in the middle you have this clause where you're forwarding local port 5902 to the desktop server on 5901 so you're creating a tunnel between the desktop's 5901 port and your local um, laptop's 5902 port okay now that you've done that 
instead of connecting, you know, normally remember I said when we ran the viewer before, we did VNC viewer space and we did the IP of the server and the server's port, which was colon one or colon 5901. But if you're doing this tunnel, you're not going to connect to the server's port. You're connecting to the local forwarded port. That's the whole point of the tunnel. You're not going to, I mean, you're connecting to a port on your own laptop, which forwards over an SSH tunnel to a different port on your desktop server that's running VNC. So on the laptop, you're going to run VNC viewer space localhost colon two or colon 5902. And that will connect your um, VNC viewer to your laptop's local port 5902, which is forwarded over an encrypted SSH tunnel to the desktop machine's port 5901, where you have the VNC server running. And you will have a nice encrypted tunnel, um, completely secure over SSH, and uh, you can use VNC. So that's a piece of cake. Once you get used to it and once you get used to those commands, you know, just copy and paste them, put them in a little text file to remind yourself. Uh, maybe even make a little simple one-line bash script if you want uh, to connect that, to make that SSH connection. Um, and uh, it's a piece of cake. Now, a little twist here. Remember how I had said that VNC by default gives you, it doesn't let you connect to your actual desktop. It's running this other Fluxbox desktop, if you will, in the background or whatever window manager you choose to put in that X startup, you know, script or whatever in .vnc. Um, but let's say you want to connect to your actual desktop on your, on your server. So you're sitting on, at your, with your laptop out in the different room and you want to actually connect to the actual desktop that you're running on your backend, you know, desktop machine, your server. Okay, we got to use a different program for that. We got to use a program called X11 VNC. And it's a little buggy. Uh, X11 VNC is a little buggy. It's not perfect, but it works. It works very well. I've used it many times and um it it I mean, it works just fine, but I'm just, you know, <laughs> don't expect a completely uh, perfect experience, but it should it should work fine. So I encourage you to try it out because it does it, it's very cool. So X11 VNC is a separate program, so just use your package manager and search for X11 VNC and go ahead and install it. Now, what X11 VNC does is it basically runs um, a single VNC server connection on port 0, which is, again, remember, port 5900. All the VNC server ports start at 5900 and go up. So 5900, 5901, and all that. X11 VNC, because you only are logged into one desktop at any given time. Uh, so if you want to, con if, you, if you're logged into your main, your, your first desktop session, that's going to be port 5900. So what you do is on your desktop machine, on your server, okay, you just run the command X11 VNC. All right, that's all you need to do. You don't need to do anything else. Then you go to your laptop, and it's very similar, okay? It's very similar to what we just did. A second ago. Um, what we're doing now is we're going to forward local port 5900, which is your own, you know, um, desktop viewer, um, to the server's port 5900. So what you would do is you would type SSH, and again, it's going to be very similar to what we just typed a minute ago. Uh, SSH dash capital L 5900 um, 
localhost colon 5900, and then the IP address of your server, 192.168.1.50. Okay. And it's a little bit different because we put localhost in the middle there, not the IP address of the server. So again, SSH dash capital L 5900 colon localhost colon 5900 space IP address of your server, 192.168.1.50 in my example. You do that, and then when you get your command prompt back, you type VNC viewer space localhost colon zero. You're connecting to the local 50, port 5900, which is being forwarded um, to your um, server's 5900 uh, port, and that's what's running X11 VNC. And boom, it just works right away. And you'll see your desktop that you have running on your server. Okay, um, I just had to pause there because I had to double-check my notes because I was thinking that putting localhost in the middle there was not right, and it wasn't. So what you do is it's just like the previous example, except using rather than using 5902 and 5901, um, you're going to use 5900 on both ends. So the command would be ssh-l, 5900 colon 192.168.1.50 colon 5900 again and then again 192.168.1.50 that's the command that makes sense I mean it should be just like the previous example that will forward your local port 5900 to your servers port 5900 where the x11 VNC server is running okay I think that makes sense. And like I said, I'll put some links to some excellent documentation on this. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of it on the Internet. There's lots of good how-tos, and um, it really is very simple, and it works. It's very, very cool. And there's stuff you can play with. with the You know, you can play with the compression and the level of the compression, and there's different things you can do. But, um, but basically, what I just described will work right away. Now, one last point um, before I finish up this, this segment. If you want to do this over the Internet, you know, out to the outside world, so in other words, you want to connect to your Linux machine from work or whatever, then um, the same process, I mean, there's not much that needs to be changed except for the fact that you've got to obviously take care of your NAT router and your firewall and all that kind of stuff. In other words, you've got to forward a port 5900 or 5901 or whatever from your router to your desktop machine and um, pass it through the firewall if you have a firewall rule, you know, that or firewall that prevents all ports. So that's sort of outside the issue of VNC. That would be the same as if you were connecting via SSH to your um, desktop machine from work. I mean, you've got to forward that port. Um, so that's just any standard, you know, forwarding of ports and firewall rules with uh, as with any service. So um, definitely check that out. Play with VNC. I think you'll really like it. It's, uh, it, like I said, it's very cool, works very well. And when you combine VNC with SSH, you've got a really nice, uh, really killer combination of encryption plus, uh, you know, being able to connect graphically to another desktop. So cool stuff. All right, let's check out a listener tip on the grub menu.lst file. Greetings, Chess and fellow Linux reality listeners. This is, I'm known as Vucci in the forums, actually on the Linux reality forums. Uh, Chess, real quick, wanted to say what a great podcast. Uh, it's really, you know, brought me really back to 
uh, using Linux once again, uh, hard and heavy, and uh, I can't tell you how much how good it feels to uh, have this alternative available to us. Quick listener tip out there: I couldn't find anything that told me just real quick and dirty how to edit the Grub menu list because, like I'm sure as some people have as I have, I got very sick and tired of having, you know, just so many kernel options when I boot up my computer and if I had to go into Windows or you know, another user that was using my machine had to go into Windows and scroll all the way to the bottom, and it can be kind of confusing not having, you know, the Windows selection if you happen to run that OS in addition to Linux appear in the list at the beginning. So if you are a Ubuntu user and your system automatically boots into the X server, you can do Control-Alt-F1, all three together, that's Control-Alt-F1, and that will switch you over to a command prompt right away, which is basically another running server as I understand it. From there, you can navigate to the root directory. So you would do cd if you have uh, to do a change directory to your root directory and type in sudo, S-U-D-O, space, nano, N-A-N-O, menu.lsc. Nano is a text editor. It's uh, sort of a uh, quick and dirty text editor. It's a lot, in my opinion, easier to use it uh, than VI. I'm sure it's not. It's quick with the keystrokes and whatnot, but it's a little more intuitive for people who uh, you know weren't born and raised on VI. Uh, but anyway, and then what you do, you put a hash mark or a pound sign in front of any line that you didn't want to appear. So, for example, for my menu.lst file, I put a pound sign in front of the lines, which in, in a sense comments out the lines that I do not want to appear in the menu.lst. So for me personally, I comment out all other kernel selections except the latest kernel, the recovery mode, and the memory test. So in a sense, what I'm left with is basically four choices for a boot. Uh, and only about five or six lines. It's all on one page. It's very concise. Now, I will warn you that when you do an update, uh, especially with Ubuntu, it will automatically overwrite your Grub file when it does do a kernel update. It will overwrite that menu.lst file, and you will have to go in and edit it once again. But it's very easy to do. Uh, so, again, the recap, Control-Alt-F1 kicks you out to that command prompt right away, sudo space nano space menu.lst, then you'll be able to edit that file. Uh, for a future show, Chess was wondering if you were ever going to get around to the topic of security. I know there's a lot of concerns out there with security, uh, everything going on, so I was hoping to put on the wish list a uh, quick and dirty episode that would uh, kind of give us a basic things to look out for in Linux to help us all compute and navigate through the Internet much more safely on our respective Linux operating system. Again, Chess, uh, great show. I uh, don't know what else to say about it. It's a great podcast. I've listened to quite a few, and uh, yours is definitely uh, one of the ones I eagerly await the new version. So keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, great tip, and uh, I do definitely plan to get to an episode on security, and lots of people uh, have asked for that, uh, so that 
uh, that is definitely in the works, uh, probably sooner rather than later. So I'm just, I need to pull together. I've, I made some notes on it several months ago because I was thinking about doing it at one point and, and I pulled some things together. And now I've got to dig that out and kind of make sure that I've got everything covered that I wanted to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> but just stay tuned. It's coming. And thanks for that tip. That's an excellent tip. I think we've got some several pieces of uh, excellent feedback on the schools issue and just some other things. So um, I'm just going to kind of run right through them here in order. And I've gotten several, like I said, I've gotten several others. There's one, there was one that was very long. It was like 11 or 12 minutes long. And I may get to that maybe next week or something, but really try to keep, you know, keep the, the listener comments and, and whatever to under five minutes. All of these that um, I'm playing here are under five minutes. So there's no problems there, but there's another one that I got um, a week or two ago that was very long and I'm just trying to figure out how to work that in. So anyway, here is the listener feedback. This is Nathan from distortedstar.com. In episode 48, uh, you talked about open source software in the public schools. And I want to let you know that I wholeheartedly agree with you. I believe that um, we really need to be educating children about open source software and about open uh, alternatives to what they already use. Um, by limiting our our children's experiences in the school, what we're effectively doing is creating that permission-based culture that Larry Lessig talks about in his book, Free Culture. And um, I think if there's one thing that is extremely detrimental to America, it is a permission-based culture because we are a freedom-based culture, and uh, we need to remain that way. And unfortunately, um, the permission-based culture isn't something that we need to worry about getting here. It's already here, and it's already starting to permeate um, uh, really all aspects of our lives. It's become the norm that we sacrifice um, all kinds of freedoms just so that we can um, have the convenience of downloading a song straight to our computer instead of ripping it from the CD. You know, it's already become the norm that we... Um, give up what we can do with our computers for no good reason just because Microsoft says so. And it's become the norm that uh, Clear Channel decides what kind of music is popular at one point in time. Um, it's not right and it needs to be changed. And uh, those of us that are aware of the issue, we need to be uh, doing everything we can to be good advocates for open source, open standards, open licenses, um, so that we don't fall into this trap that is a permission-based culture, that is a closed culture, because all that is going to do is take away our freedoms, it's going to take away our creativity, and ultimately, not to be overdramatic, but ultimately, it's going to lead to a severe uh, degradation of our society as a whole and so it's something that is uh, very important and that we need to be aware of thanks so much chess for uh, talking about that in your podcast you have a great show um, i listen to it regularly and uh, i can't wait for the next episode i hope uh, you're doing well and hope you have a great day thanks a lot bye Hey Chaz, this is the third time I record this voicemail because I went on and on and on. So I'm gonna try to be as quick as possible. Uh, so I'm a um, the lead for the open office in the whole Spanish region, which means 
um, Spain and Latin America and we get a lot of cases where uh, high schools are switching to open office also colleges are switching to open office and I think that it is a very um, I, I don't know how to say it but a, a very open way of thinking because they finally get it that well uh, they, they save a lot of money in licenses uh, but also at the same time they have a vision which says like well we are the education entities and we should be the one uh, having a hold on what is going to come as the next wave of technology now um, s some of the times uh, there's a lot of resistance from from people from different uh, entities could be management could be uh, uh, the parents of the kids but I think that using open office they really open uh, a, a big um, trend to moving to alternative technologies and kids are usually the least thought of in these decisions usually kids are very very um, savvy in technology and they can quickly adopt and dominate the technology and the problem really is most of the times are either the teachers or people that has nothing to do with the actual uh, performance of whether the kids uh, of the education basically whether the management that they basically know no better or uh, um, peripheral entities not really the, the kids itself so it's just well um, some of the experience that I've seen throughout this uh, uh, movement and I guess, I guess I'm going to share that with you all and I guess we can just talk about it in the chat alright um all right, thanks for playing my voicemail. Bye. Hi, Chess. This is Steve Bronius from Zealand Public Schools, Zealand, Michigan. I'm the technology director for the district. Just wanted to give you some feedback on uh, school districts and using Linux and open source technology uh, that you had talked about in one of your previous episodes. Just wanted to let you know that um, we're currently testing some technologies of Linux for student computers. Um, we're calling it the REST project, R-E-S-S-T, which is standing for Reliable, Effective, Sustainable Student Technology. Our goal is to test uh, free open source software um, through using older technology to start with. And uh, we've done that by using a modified Kubuntu image and uh, currently are looking at a two students to, per, to one computer ratio. Uh, in the classrooms where we have placed these computers. Currently, we're testing in three different classrooms those technologies to see how it works for teachers to just have the tools available and not have to worry about what the operating system is and also to make it that it does not cost any money in software costs to put that in place. So that's what we've been currently testing. We have historically, since around 1994, used uh, Linux for things like email and web services. Um, we currently use Zope for our web services. Uh, we've been playing around with Moodle for um, courseware. Um, and we are a Novell district for our file services um, and are working toward getting our servers all switched over to be running um, SUSE Linux. Um, for our services that way with the support of Novell. So 
Anyway, we also wanted to let you know that uh, on all of our district computers, whether they're staff or students, we are constantly looking for open source applications that we can install on those, such as Tux Paint, OpenOffice, the GIMP. And that way we give everyone the access to the same tools, uh, no matter where they are. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to let you know that those are the types of things we're looking at. And uh, whenever possible, we want to use Linux and open source uh, technologies to uh, meet our goals. And hopefully over time, um, our staff and students will recognize the value in those uh, applications. Thanks for your great show and uh, for your continued evangelism on the use of Linux. Um, I sure appreciate what you do. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, thank all of you for such great feedback. Um, really good points. And um, it's like I don't know what to say. And uh, I just think it's really it's really fascinating to get different points of view and uh, and and to hear what people think. I've gotten some people that um, you know disagreed a little bit. And uh, uh, although I haven't had any email or voicemails from from folks that disagreed, but uh, I think most people tend to agree that there's probably some value in you know trying to work in some alternatives. And you know, as I said before, I certainly don't expect things to change overnight. And uh, certainly don't anticipate people not learning Office and, and Windows and all that kind of stuff, but it's really just all about educating you know, kids that you know there is choice in technology and there is choice in operating systems and there is some um, social and uh, philosophical value to thinking about how and uh, you know how software is used and what kind of software is used. You know, I certainly don't think it's the most important thing in the world or anything like that. It's we've got lots of big problems in this world, and um, you know, there's a lot of ways for us to try to work together and improve our collective lives on this on this little planet in much more important ways. But obviously, I'm focused on technology with this podcast, and so my point was simply that you know, I think it's a good idea to try to expose kids to the idea that there's not just one thing out there. So anyway. Um, thank you again, and uh, please keep sending it in. Uh, sending in the uh, audio comments is is really great, and uh, like I said, I will probably, you know, almost for sure play it at some point because I really do like having the audio comments. But obviously, you know, please feel free to send in the emails as well. So I think that's going to do it for this week, and it's about time to wrap it up. Okay, everybody. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. I hope you liked that little discussion on VNC. I really encourage you to check it out. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't really work the first time, don't don't worry about it. Please check out the links that I'm going to put in um, the show notes for this episode because I really do have, like, you know, a half a dozen, more than normal, um, because there's so many good how-tos out there. So uh, I think once you get used to the idea of connecting, especially if you use the SSH tunneling, it's really not that bad, and it worked really well. And uh, I've done it from work. I've connected over the internet. You know, I've forwarded a port, 5901 or whatever, and connected on that port, and it really works very well. It's pretty big. It's pretty neat. So, thanks again for listening, everybody. Thanks for staying subscribed and sending me all your feedback, and for participating in the forums and sending in donations. Uh, it's uh, uh, greatly appreciated, and uh, I really, you know, I really love seeing the participation in the forums and love getting that feedback. Please feel free to call the listener hotline at 206-338-6359. Of course, you can send me an email to linuxreality at gmail.com. 
Uh, keep it coming. Lots of good discussions here, and who knows, maybe we'll get into something else along those lines, something that we can all kind of talk about. And it's, it's fun. Uh, hope you all have a great week and a great weekend, and, and take care, and I'll catch you all next time. In the meantime, this has been Episode 51 of Linux Reality. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.